Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad that you're here. I would like to offer a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're very glad that you are here, and if you have questions or comments about this faith or this congregation, please do see the knowledgeable and friendly people at the membership table and visitor table out there in the foyer, and they'll be happy to help you. If you have been coming to worship here for a while and you feel that this is your spiritual home, everyone in this room would be delighted if you were to become a member, and that involves taking a class and signing the book. So also, if you've been a member here for a while and you feel that you would like to step into leadership of this congregation, everyone in this room would be delighted if you were to do that, and please speak to me about how to start becoming more and more one of the leaders of this congregation. We come from a long heritage of faith communities that teach that there is a spark of the divine in every human being. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. We please say with me the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. I'm your lay leader, Elizabeth Gray. My current volunteer opportunity with this community is to co-lead an adult RE class on compassionate communication and emotional intelligence. And there's my co-leader teacher right there. Morning, Michael. Our call to worship this morning is from Rubindranath Tagore. The same stream of life that runs through my veins night and day runs through the world and dances in rhythmic measures. It is the same life that shoots in joy through the dust of the earth in numberless blades of grass and breaks into tumultuous waves of leaves and flowers. It is the same life that is rocked in the ocean cradle of birth and death in ebb and in flow. I feel my limbs are made glorious by the touch of this world of life. And my pride is from the life throb of ages, dancing in my blood this moment. If people ask you, what do you do at church? How can you call it church when they've got Buddhist Presbyterians and Hindu Jews and Unitarians who come from all kinds of roots and backgrounds and you play folk music and rock and roll and classical and country and... What holds you all together? You can say, well, we say our mission statement, which is we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our meditation reading is from Lao Tse. If there is to to be peace in the world, there must be peace in the nations. If there is to be peace in the nations, there must be peace in the cities. 
If there is to be peace in the cities, there must be peace between neighbors. If there is to be peace between neighbors, there must be peace in the home. If there is to be peace in the home, there must be peace in the heart. Let us continue our meditation with the Buddhist metta meditation or loving kindness prayer. We say this three times. I'll say a line and you say it after me, should you choose to. The first time through, we say this for ourselves. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time, we say this for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. The third time we say this for someone against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. May it be so. We just say it till we mean it. Well, last month we launched ourselves on a series about the Eightfold Path of Buddhism. And the first thing I talked about was right understanding, where you understand how things work. How things work, according to the Buddhist tradition, is that uh, to live is dukkha which means um, many things. It's a complicated word. Sometimes it's translated suffering. To live is suffering, but that's not really all of it. It implies um, disturbance, irritation, dejection, worry, despair, fear, irritability, anguish, vulnerability, injury, longing. One of the translations that I like translates it out of joint. To live is to feel out of joint. The second thing is all of this, dukkha, comes from desire. To end the suffering and desire. That's number three. And four, release from suffering is possible if you follow this eightfold path. That's the, that's the system of Buddhism, the Four Noble Truths. So how do you follow the Eightfold Path? Okay, first of all, you've got to understand that, that I just said. Um, hearing it and understanding it are apparently pretty far apart, and you can take a lot of time to kind of get it, to wake up. We talked about Neo last 
last time. It's just to wake up Neo and realize it's all an illusion. And if you want to live awake, it's going to take more effort than living asleep. So um, all the steps or elements of the Eightfold Path begin with the word right, which of course means, um, you know, the way the Buddhists see it. Right. It's right if you believe, if you agree with me. So um, there are several ways of talking about any system of thought. And one is I can just kind of give it to you uh, straight as if I were within the system of thought and say, here's what it says. And the other way is that I could uh, kind of give commentary the whole way, which I don't feel very comfortable with because I'm not an expert on Buddhism. I'm just telling you what it is, and I'm telling you what it makes me think of. So I may just tell you pretty straight and comment a little. I'm going to compromise. So we live in a culture that encourages desire. You've got to want things. There's even a television show on cable, I think, called I Want That. (laughs) And if you haven't wanted anything in a while, there are going to be catalogs coming to your doorstep. (laughs) And you can look at them and you go, wow, I want that. I never even knew I wanted it. If you fly on an airplane, you you have this catalog in front of you when they don't let you read your Kindle. And um, you just go, I never even knew there was that. And so um, we see people on television who are, of course, um, gorgeous, and they have interesting lives and dramatic relationships, and surprising little treats happen, or else they're in trouble, but it's kind of a dramatic trouble and a romantic trouble, and they get out of it after an hour or so. And um... <laughs> But it's interesting because on TV, when you're watching these people with their lives, they're never watching TV. It's kind of like, we spend a lot of time watching TV. Why aren't they watching TV? But, you know, then RuPaul's Drag Race comes on and you forget to ask questions because you're watching. (laughs) So the Buddha taught that desire for things or status, security, happiness, all of that uh, causes unhappiness. Because if you don't have them, you want them, and you're trying to figure out how to get them. And if you do have them, you're trying to figure out how not to lose them. And I am like everybody else, and then I feel sometimes of restlessness or dread or irritability, but I always try to feel like that's part of my charm. Um, That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Getting rid of desire is not compelling to me. I don't want to get rid of desire. It feels like a fuel. It feels like something that keeps you going forward. Um, So you probably aren't like that at all. So, you know, I need to be, if I'm told to do something, I've got to look at it and I've got to see if it makes sense. And if it makes sense to me, then I... If it feels right, I'll do it. And so I would like to do this. I would like to get rid of suffering and anguish and longing and irritability and all of that and have a Buddha mind. And um, so I have to put it in different ways. 
if you say to me, to end suffering, end desire, I just go, mm, that's, that doesn't do anything for me. I have to say, to have freedom, learn contentment. Okay. I could go with that, because freedom sounds good. To have freedom, learn contentment. Yes, and contentment sounds good. And that has power for me, and I think it means about the same thing. And so in order to learn contentment, um, you do these eight things. First, you see the truth of things, which we just talked about. And then there are seven more parts of the path. And the, the second one that we're going to talk about today is called right intention. To set your intention. An intention is a lodestar to steer by. It's like the compass on the front of your bulletin. An intention says, we're going this direction. Because over there is that, and over there is that, and back there is that, and we're going there. And so you can make all of your decisions about where to put your steps according to your lodestar. And if you get kind of distracted and lost and wander off, as we want to do, you just find your lodestar again. Okay, what would be the most uh, likely to get me this direction? And then you do that. So um, an intention forms your thoughts and gives rise to your actions. It's like a desire, only it's not a feeling, it's a plan of action. Um, Scarlett O'Hara set her intention on her knees in the field with a carrot in her hand. You remember? Um, As God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. And she wouldn't because she did everything she could to make sure she wasn't. And that was her intention. And it steered her. I was going to say for the rest of her life, but really just for the rest of the movie. (laughs) And some of us set our intentions very clearly early in life, and that shapes the person we're going to become. If we grow up in a chaotic environment, we might say, I want security. And then you steer everything by that. Or you go, I will not be around anger anymore. And so you make all your decisions around that. How do I avoid anger of any kind, mine or theirs or anybody's? Or you think, I'm just not going to try. It sets me up for failure. Or I'll never be hurt again. I just won't let anybody get inside my boundaries. And Marilyn Monroe said, I just want to be wonderful. That'll shape your life. I just want to be wonderful. So a Buddhist intention might be to be at peace or to be helpful to all beings. And if this is your intention to be at peace, you live peace. And in the reading you heard right before the meditation time from Lao Tse, peace begins with peace in the family, which begins with peace in the heart. And you can say, I want peace in the world. And it's easier than I want peace in my family. Oh, man. That's a little more of a challenge. Because your family's got, you know, real people in it. 
So your intention is like a compass or your intention is kind of like a, one of those ropes that the mountain climbers use. And you, and you have this rope that's attached way high up on the peak and you're kind of um, holding yourself on the rope as you um, take your ice axe and get up to the top of the mountain. And even if the fog rolls in or the snow comes in or there's big wind, if you hang onto that rope and you just keep going up the rope little by little, you're going to get there. That's like your intention. So the step of right intention has three parts according to Buddhist teaching. The intention to end desire or to trick myself into doing it, to be content. The intention to be content. The intention to have goodwill to all beings. And the intention not to cause harm. So to be uh, content, you have to look a couple of steps ahead of your desire. You have to say, I really want that, but okay, let me imagine I have that. And then what? You think about all the feelings and consequences that go with having that. And then you say, do I still want that? If you say, you know, I'd just like to eat chocolate all day long. You go, okay, well, if I do that, and I can because I can do anything I want. I will end up kind of feeling sick and like I've done myself harm. If you think ahead to the feelings that will come after you act on the desire, the Buddha says you don't even have to repress the desire. All you have to do is just walk it all the way through. He said if you walk it all the way through, your desire falls away like autumn leaves from a tree. There's a movie called Betrayal. I don't know how many of you have seen it. It's based on a play by Harold Pinter. And it's this story of a man and a woman who have an affair. The man is uh, a dear friend of the woman's husband. And they have this affair. But the whole story is told backward from the, you know, the opening scene of the movie, Betrayal, or the play, is when the two lovers are you know, standing in the apartment that they rented as their love nest. And they're like, we don't ever use this anymore. Do you want to get rid of it? Yeah, let's get rid of it. I don't know. And there you can tell there's just nothing between them anymore. And then the next scene is when the husband finds out. And then the next scene before that is when they're in the throes of their rapture. And then the scene at the end of the movie is when they meet at a party. And you just want to say, no. And you do wonder if they could have watched that movie and seen how it came out, would they still have done it? Because that's powerful stuff. But if you can see the ashes at the end, do you want to light the fire? I don't know. So um, clarity, if you can get it, helps diminish your desire. Be content with where you are or think what needs to change and then change it. Take some action. Don't Sit in one thing and try to have another thing too. Double-mindedness is stressful. For example, a man feels isolated and alone, friendless. He waits at home for somebody to call him. When the person calls him, he complains on the phone about how alone he is and how awful it is and how nobody ever calls him. And he's in a bad mood. 
And then the caller doesn't have a really good experience having called him and so doesn't call back. And so when we are double-minded, i.e. like this man, I want to have friends and I want to be able to indulge all my moods whenever they come on me. You can't really have both unless you have really, really understanding friends. Then you wonder about their sanity. And you really want sane friends because they're more fun in the end. Um, the Buddhist teachers say it's like you're hitting yourself in the head with a hammer and complaining about the pain when you follow your desires and it makes you suffer. And then you go, oh, I'm suffering. Life is so hard. Why am I in this? Why does this keep happening to me? People say as if they're completely innocent of anything having to do with their pain. So we complain of being isolated or cut off, but we don't go out. We don't do anything to get connected. And we act like a curmudgeon when we're with other people. And so if somebody points this out to us, we get hurt and angry and lash out at them. Well, they'll never do that again. They're just going to leave you alone. So that's just one example. And the Buddha teaches that in endless cases... Not all cases, but endless. We are the cause of our suffering. I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this um, video that went viral on YouTube a couple years ago. It was called Charlie Bit Me. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it's two little boys in a stroller, older brother behind, little baby in front just getting his teeth. And so you watch this, the older brother reaches around to the baby and puts his hand in the baby's mouth. And he's like, Charlie, bite me. Bite me, Charlie. Bite me, Charlie. And then Charlie chomps down. And the little boy goes, ah. And Charlie's not letting go. He's like, Charlie, bit me. And you go, dude. <laughs> and Buddhism would say we're all like that. So how do we get there without making, an in- making our will say, I am not going to get hurt anymore? Well, Right intention, you, you renounce desire, not by saying, I'm not going to have any more desires, because that's just crazy. You go, I'm going to think my desires all the way through and look at the end and get clarity about them and then decide. I'll make my decision. I'm going to have goodwill toward all beings. That includes myself. And I'm going to try to do no harm to them or to me. So we practice being content. We go, boy, if I won the lottery, I would buy that house right on the lake. That would be just great. I would have that house that you could see from the bridge. And then you go, oh, no, I wouldn't want a house you could see from the bridge. I don't want the best house in Austin. I'm going to get the best house in Austin when I win the lottery. I go, oh, well, really, why would I just want to stop with the best house in Austin? Maybe I should just get the best house in L.A. I'm going to, oh, no, why? Why L.A.? Paris. Come on, let's get the best house in Paris. And then you realize that if you had the best house in Paris, you still would have other stuff you wanted. It's endless. It's, it's, it's a black hole. You're, you're not ever going to feel satisfied from out there. You've got to be satisfied in here. So that understanding brings the change. If you realize that desire is endless, you may as well be satisfied as soon as you're good. And we intend to have goodwill. And there are a lot of people that it's very easy to have goodwill toward. 
And then there are those other people who are not quite as easy. And we grumble inside and we have resentments and we have fears and sometimes we even hate. And all those feelings keep us from peace. And so we use the meta meditation. Just take your bulletin home and wear that thing out. And things will change inside you. I just had a really miraculous experience this morning while we were doing the meditation when I said, say this for someone you love, my ex-husband popped into my head. I thought, wow, I've been practicing. This is good. When we're angry, we look and try to find clarity as we understand why the other people did what they did. If we can. We intend harmlessness. We give up violent and aggressive actions. We give up violent and aggressive language. That's harder. You watch the TV news shows and in the crawl underneath, sometimes they'll have the tweets from people who are watching and they're so... Violent. They're so like, those people should just kill each other and leave us alone, or they should just have a shootout in the. It's like, no, no. Violent language leads to violent thoughts, leads to violent actions. They're all together in a knot. And you have to start with your thoughts, and all you do is just say, I'm thinking violent thoughts. I might need to <sighs> replace those thoughts with other thoughts because. Not thinking is very hard. But as one of my teachers, Byron Katie, always says, ask yourself when you have a thought, is that true? You go, those, person, those people hate me. You go, is that true? The second question, very important, are you sure it's true? <laughs> and then you get to the question, can you think of one sane reason to hold on to that thought. So you don't have to let the thought go with your will. You just go, is there any sane reason for me to hold on to this thought? I am a person who um, fights with Buddhist teaching, and yet I'm fascinated by it. So we have this relationship of uh, love-hate. It's not really love-hate. It's more like approach-avoidance. So I love the Buddhist teaching, and yet it makes my head want to explode. Because I, I try to be nonviolent and sweet, but trying is not what you should do. Because trying makes me want to snap, which is what I'm trying to avoid. So I have to set my intention not to be sweet, but to be good. Um, a good person, do the best thing I know how to do which is often not sweet, but truthful and loving. Anyway, I like being mad because it um, helps me get places. And I think, can I be a Buddhist and be mad? And what I love about Buddhism is that it doesn't ask you to give up anything, and it doesn't ask you to believe anything. It just says, Maybe you can be mad. Just try it. See, if you're mad, does it lead to suffering or does it lead to peace? And if it's the kind of mad that can lead away from suffering, then go for it. 
But if it makes you agitated and unhappy and it makes you suffer, just uh, ask yourself if that's what you really want to do. So sensible. Ugh. Hard to fight against somebody who's sensible going, just try it. What do you fight against in that? I don't know. And still I have to say, maybe peace of mind is not for everybody. Buddhist teacher Eric Kolvig says, the whole thing is about looking for yourself. You can find out right here, he points to his chest, if you want to know where suffering comes from in your life. And just watch what goes on in your mind and heart. And you'll see yourself when you generate your own suffering. You don't have to believe it. Just notice it. And the Buddha calls that verified faith. So just notice what intention you would like to steer by. Maybe you want security, then ask yourself, when I get security, how will I feel? Peace. Well, maybe I could just want peace. What do you want? I want to be rich. Well, when you get rich, how will you feel? Peace. Maybe you should just want peace. Then you won't have to get rich. Just be peaceful now. I don't know. I just want to be wonderful. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee nor leaves thy sight and I am thine I rest in thee great spirit come and rest in me go in peace This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.